Let's pray, shall we? Ask the Lord to bless the preaching of his word. Father in heaven, would the hope of Christmas shine forth through this fallen, fragile, faltering creature? And I pray, Lord, that the infinite, perfect, all-wise Savior would be magnified through the word this morning. This we pray together in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, who doesn't love a good Hail Mary? Do you know what a Hail Mary is? So some of you, as good Protestants, uh, immediately rejected the idea of a Hail Mary because you were thinking about Roman Catholic prayers. But were I to guess, for most of you, the very first thing that popped in your mind was football. And as it should be. A Hail Mary, for those who are unfamiliar, is an extremely long pass thrown up in complete desperation with very little chance of success. They say it's about 16.5% likely to succeed. Three weeks ago today, the Arizona Cardinals were playing the Buffalo Bills at a 4 p.m. or so game Sunday afternoon. And with about 10 seconds left on the clock, they were down to uh, the Bills, 26 to 30. And so we waited in eager anticipation as CBS announcer Ian Eagle was calling the play. And we listened to him step by step as he goes, shotgun, Murray, out of the pocket, scrambles. Breaks a tackle. Seven seconds. Six seconds. Heaves it down the field. 50 yards. And it is... Caught! It's caught! Miraculous! DeAndre Hopkins! Murray magic! It succeeded. And the Arizona Cardinals defeated the Buffalo Bills 32-30. to 30. And, of course... There were dissenters. Well, he got lucky. I mean, after all, Hail Mary is just kind of you throwing it up there, and maybe there's a small chance someone will catch it. It wasn't even intentional. It just kind of went up there, right? Does life feel a bit like a Hail Mary to you? Just kind of throw up your problems in complete desperation, with very little chance of success, hoping that maybe things will go well? And if something goes your way, is the response that, well, just kind of got lucky. In his book, uh, Gentle and Lowly, author Dane Ortland says that Jesus didn't just come for sinners, Jesus came for sufferers. And though it is true that we are fallen in our sinfulness, it is also true that we are fragile and faltering and finite. There are other categories that may be affecting your expectations for how your life would turn out. And it is easy, like Eeyore and Winnie the Pooh, that you might find yourself in a situation where you just keep losing your tail. And when a Christopher Robbins comes along and attaches the red balloon, in the meantime, 
good substitute tail, right? A red balloon. You kind of look back and you say, well, oh, that's a lovely color. I guess I'll just have to get used to it in your Eeyore kind of way. Sometimes our sin drives our expectations for how life would go. Sometimes it's our suffering that drives our expectations. And as Christians, it's important to think in terms of Christian faith and Christian hope. Well, Christian faith and Christian hope are actually very related to one another, but they are distinct concepts. Faith is having complete trust and confidence in who God is and what he's done. As to where hope is based on that faith, it is the optimistic expectation of what God will bring about, namely joy and peace in our lives, right? Hebrews 11 tells us faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of that which we do not see. Biblical hope is always grounded in God's promises and in God's power. So to Romans 15, 8 to 13, we now turn as you're making your way there in your Bibles or bulletin. The Apostle Paul had been on a long journey throughout the book of Romans to essentially share the gospel in full. And namely, talking about grace all the way through, he wanted to promote the idea that salvation is a gift. God gives us that gift freely. And of course, the Jews and Gentiles were these two groups, the church at Rome, and were not getting along. Uh, there was much division, there was much fighting, uh, there was not unity surrounding important matters. And Paul comes along and essentially says, guys, get over yourselves. There are those who are struggling, and your call is to be aware of them. Your call is to lay your life down for them. Why? Because we have an everlasting hope. So act like it. See, it's not just the truths that we believe that God is calling us to think about. It's also our attitudes towards him, towards others, towards our circumstances. What is our attitude this morning? Well, the Apostle Paul is going to address for us what kind of attitude that gospel grace should lead us to. So let's hear now the words of the Apostle Paul in Romans 15, verses 8 to 13. For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs, that is Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy, as it is written, Therefore, I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And again, it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. And again, Isaiah says, The root of Jesse will come, even he who arises to rule the Gentiles. In him will the Gentiles hope. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The first observation I want to make here is namely that hope is the promise of inclusion. And in our house, whenever uh, some of a, one of us will do something that is, is kind of odd or perks the ears, uh, particularly me, my wife will look back at me and she'll say, huh? And what she's essentially saying when she does that is, you just made a statement and I have no idea where you're going with this or why you mentioned it. Why did I bring up inclusion in this text? We'll take a look at verse 8. The circumcised here refers to the Jews. And God's inclusion of the Gentiles, or simply put, non-Jews, that's you friends, was always part of his saving plan. The Jews saw God's fulfilling of promises to them, as in those who are not a part of the nation of Israel, as proving that God is faithful. But the Israelites sure were not a fan of the idea that these other nations would be incorporated into this plan. They wanted God to welcome them. They just didn't want God to welcome the other people. Do you remember Jonah and Nineveh? The word for nations here shows up six times in our passage. You might say, well, in my Bible, I'm reading Gentile. What do you mean, nations? Well, the original manuscripts would have included the word for nations or people groups. Gentile is a Latin word, and it's how we, in English, understand the idea of people that were not in Israel, people that were not Jewish. And they are the subject here. That is, hope is the future promise of what God is going to do to include all the nations. There is centrifugal and centripetal mission happening. In other words, the church is partly come and see, and it's partly go and tell. God wants to bring people in from all nations. He wants to do a work, and then he wants to send them out into the world. Pretty cool, right? So Paul's saying, to show you that this isn't a new idea, I'm going to quote from the Old Testament, because I know you Israelites really like your Old Testament. So he does it three times there in verses 9 to 11. One is right here in Psalm 117. And Psalm 117 says, Praise the Lord, all nations. Extol him, all peoples. For great is his steadfast love toward us, a faithfulness that endures forever. Praise the Lord. And then he says, I'm going to quote as well from Isaiah to show you that the fulfilling of what God's going to do through all nations is going to happen through the root of Jesse. Well, we're going to get to what the root of Jesse is here in a few verses. But the point here is praise. Paul is trying to promote worship. He's trying to promote God being glorified. And the way that God is going to be glorified, the way that worship is going to happen, is that God is going to bring all kinds of people in. 
John Piper says, mission exists because worship doesn't. So we go out into all the world because there are people who are not worshiping God, and God wants us to worship him. God does this in a way that keeps promises that were made a long time ago. It's not a new idea. Book of Titus says it this way. Paul, a servant of God, you can see it there in your bulletin, and an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth which accords with godliness, in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching. I want to talk to our kids for a moment. I know it's 2020, and I know the Cocoro virus is still going around and hindering our plans. And I know that there's a really good chance for those in our youth group, those who are watching on Facebook Live, that you had hoped that something different would happen this year. Maybe somebody made a promise to you, and they weren't able to keep it. Maybe it was mom and dad. Maybe they said that this year you would go to Disney World. You know how much your parents love you? Do you know how much your parents see the limited number of years that they get to raise you in their home and want to make the most of that? This is the God who fulfills all of his promises but this is not a passage that is about God taking you to heaven the way that, you know, maybe mom and dad take you to Disney World. This is a passage that is about you being welcomed in as an outsider. So here's the better question to ask kids. Have you ever felt left out? Whether it's on a sports team, maybe being invited to a birthday party, Maybe being able to hear a secret that one of your friends got to hear. You know that God invites you to the party? You know that God is willing to tell you the secrets in his word? This is about God welcoming you in warmly. And you know that word praise there in our passage? It means warm approval. God wants you to celebrate the warm approval that he has for you in Jesus. If you trust in Jesus, then God has accepted you into his family. And he wants you then to respond to that gift. You know the gifts that we have under the Christmas tree? It's not just that you didn't buy them and mom and dad or someone else bought them. You probably didn't earn those gifts either. I know I probably should have some coal in my stocking this year. But you know when we receive a gift, God calls us to respond to it. How will you respond to the gifts that God has given you? Here's one way that I suggest to do it. Who are those people in your life that feel left out? Who are those people in your life that are outsiders? What would it be like if you gave them the gift 
of warm approval and acceptance. Not talking about approving of their sin or bad decisions they make. What does it look like to treat them like family? That they might experience God's good gifts. God has warmly received you in Jesus. So we can have a good attitude about God and about others, namely because he includes us in his plan by keeping his promises. But how do we know that true joy and peace will really come? Well, hope is also the power of God to intrude into an otherwise hopeless situation to bring life, joy, and peace to it. We see that the root of Jesse will come. Jesus is coming. And the Holy Spirit will fill us with joy and peace. Well, it doesn't really say anything there in verses 12 to 13 about whether or not the Gentiles even wanted this. It just simply says that God comes in and he intrudes the situation, if you will. Now, we have a very negative view of that word intrusion, don't we? We buy home security systems so that if somebody were to break into our house, then we would know it. We would be able to grab our baseball bat or gun or what have you to stop the intruder. Intrusion is viewed as a bad thing. Let's think about intrusion a little bit differently. In geology, there is a concept called intrusive rocks. And the liquid rocks form underneath the surface of the earth. And over time, they push their way up into all of the cracks and into all of the hard surfaces. And those hard surfaces are eventually knocked out of the way. And as that molten lava rock rises to the surface of the earth, it solidifies and it becomes strong and huge. And at that point, it crystallizes. And there are all kinds of beautiful minerals that come about as a result. Waterways, vegetation, life being brought everywhere. Now, we on the east side of the United States don't have as much of a concept for this because we've got the Smoky Mountains and the Appalachian Mountains. But if you go out west, you'll be able to see real mountains. And uh, these mountains outside of Alaska in California are the largest mountains in the United States. The Sierra Nevada Mountains, uh, particularly Mount Whitney, is 14,505 feet in the air. And it's formed from an intrusive rock. And the uh, name, Mount Whitney, actually comes from a Native American tribe that named him. And uh, when they named the mountain, Whitney was uh, supposedly the greatest spirit that presided over the destiny of the people and that greatest spirit makes his home here. Now, we know that the greatest spirit is the Holy Spirit. And we say that this is the God who can move mountains. God does, in fact, move mountains. And when he does, he finds his way to all the cracks. And he brings about life and vegetation where it did not exist before. God is an intrusive God. 
That's a good thing. John Calvin, quoting uh, verses 12 to 13 here, says this. From the dry and dying trunk of David's family, Isaiah promises that a branch would flourish from the despised root, which will powerfully restore God's people to her pristine glory. See, it is hope that is the link between verses 12 and 13. As verse 13 tells us then, how could we not abound and multiply in hope, knowing that this is the God who willingly comes into our lives, whether we welcome him in or not? This is the God who wants to have relationship with us. This is the God who comes into an otherwise hopeless situation and brings about hope and flourishing. I read about an emergency meeting where elders got together and an elder began his prayer like this. Oh, almighty God, ever gracious and sufficient for all things. We pray that you would be here in this room in Jesus name. Amen. And then he said, gentlemen, the situation in our church is completely hopeless. And there is absolutely nothing that can be done about it. Now, either that was one of the most empty prayers ever uttered in the history of God's kingdom, or it simply was not true that the situation was hopeless and that there was nothing that could be done. Let me give you a better example of a dire situation and the attitude of hope and optimism that should feed it. Winston Churchill once assembled a cabinet meeting in the time of World War II, and this was a time when South Africa and Canada and Australia and New Zealand were jumping into the war to stop Germany from spreading fascism and taking over the land in France. And, of course, the men in the room felt the situation was completely hopeless. There was no way they were going to stop it. And Winston Churchill, looking around the room, seeing the dispirited company around him, said, gentlemen, I find the situation quite inspiring. If you find yourself going through hell, keep going. This is why we say, with God, all things are possible. In him, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Do you receive the power of God with that childlike awe and wonder? I can't state it better than William Barclay does in your bulletin. There is something in Christian hope that not all the shadows of the world can quench. And that something is the conviction that God is alive. No man is hopeless so long as there is the grace of Jesus Christ. And no situation is hopeless so long as there is the power of God. Sports announcer got to talk to Cardinals head coach Cliff Kingsbury after the game three weeks ago. And he said this, the play was not only planned. The play was very intentional. We talked about it beforehand, speaking to Peter Schrager the sportscaster on Fox News. We drew it up with the option to go to our tight end. 
who could then catch it out of bounds and give us one more shot at the end zone. But I, being the coach of the Cardinals, said to Kyler Murray, the quarterback, yeah, the play goes to Andy, unless you feel confident in Hop, talking about DeAndre Hopkins. And in that case, let it rip. The quarterback said there was never a moment where he even considered throwing it to Andy Nassali, number 17, the tight end. He was always going to throw it to DeAndre Hopkins in the end zone. See, even though Andy was open, and even though he could have thrown the ball to him and set him up for one more throw, even with three defenders on him in the end zone, he said, I'm throwing it to DeAndre Hopkins. It, the, the game hangs in the balance, and that is the only one I can depend on. He has unbelievable control, unbelievably secure hands, an unbelievable catch radius. In the last few seasons, he dropped the ball three times out of 313 targets. This is a receiver you can count on. Now, we can call the pass a Hail Mary if we wish. But let's remember who we're throwing to. This is DeAndre Hopkins. Do you know, in your most desperate moments, you can throw all your fears and tears to God? This is not a God who will catch it 310 out of 313 times. This is a God whose catch percentage is 100%. This is a God who grants you joy and peace because he never drops the ball. And God doesn't get lucky either. He knows exactly what he's doing. And he fulfills each and every promise that he makes. And he's used to contested catches. So even with three defenders on him trying to stop whatever it is that God's doing in your life, oh, God can handle that too. He'll still catch the ball. Not only will God mercifully keep his promises, therefore, be merciful to others, but this is a God that grants you the power of the Holy Spirit. And this is a God whose fruit is joy and peace. We're going to look at the concepts of joy and peace here the next few weeks. The more that you can count on a person, the more trustworthy they are, the more confident you can be, and so the more joyful you can be in that person. And so friends, do you expect much of God this Christmas? You should. I've had to ask myself, do I have lofty expectations for what God can do in my life? I should. That is the proper posture of the Christian. We sing in our Christmas songs, a thrill of hope the weary world rejoices for yonder breaks a new and glorious morn. Whatever it is that holds you captive this morning, whatever situation in your life feels utterly hopeless, where it seems as though God couldn't possibly intrude and bring about something, let it be known that God is a God who is committed to bringing hope to his people. And he is our only hope. There is no other option. He's the only one 
that you can ultimately count on. So the next time we say we're hoping for the best, as God's people, my prayer is that we would mean it. Let's pray. God of all hope, as we come to the Lord's table, we ask that you would set these elements aside for sacred use and that, Lord, we would be a people that put faith in Christ this Christmas and would our believing in the God of hope lead to joy and peace because of who you are, because you are a God who keeps your promises, because you are a God who is powerful and at work in our hearts and in our lives. Would we put our hope and trust in you, we pray, not just now, but forevermore. Amen.